Hello, hello there. My name is Maureen with my co-host Corey. We are The Real Guys and this is The Real Show with two ears. We're coming at you on a wonderful day and we're going to make it an even better day with this broadcast. We're ready. We're starting off. It's a new epic month. We're sort of premiering a new epic month and as always, I'm coming to my co-host Corey. How are you doing today, Corey? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good. It's good to hear you, in fact. It's good to see you. It is. We're in person again. We are. We're in person and we're surrounded by the equipment we're surrounded by the atmosphere <laughs> of the radio sphere and the listening sphere we are we are for it's, you listeners today it's the first time in studio for us so if yeah. it's a bit janky you bear first with first time first, first time, and it's a and what a thing we're starting off with right yeah we'd like to give the give the the listeners a little introduction perhaps so this is going to go out on a, if you're watching it on a saturday 30th of march mm-hmm. however the first week of Star Wars month has been taken over by Moon Knight. And yes, so we pushed it back a little bit. We're covering we're covering the rest of Moon Knight. Yes. Um, during and our first episode of May, but the rest of May will be part of the May the fourth. Exactly. S- Star Wars month, where we cover Star Wars for the entire month of May. So this is a little taste. So this is a little opener. And what I think to open with, every saga mm-hmm. has a beginning. It does. And the beginning of the Skywalker saga is 1999's. Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Exactly. I'm going to mention something now. Um, I've not seen this for ages. Probably about like five or six mm-hmm. years old is when I, is when I first saw this. Mm-hmm. And I sat down, and the first things that are spoken in this film, right, the first words that are said are spoken by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. And it's uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, I have a bad feeling about this. Mm-hmm. And that was very relatable, because that's exactly what I was feeling about the film when yes, I first started watching yes. it. Anywhere you want to start in particular? Anywhere I'd like to start. Well, let's start in 1994. Okay. Right? Not the year this film came out. No. Right? Is, that, is that the year production started? Yes, the year writing process started in 1994. I'd also like to start with a man called John Knoll. Do you know okay. who John Knoll is? I do not. John Knoll is one of the uh, heads of Industrial Light and Magic. The, nice. The studio that was uh, sort of a, uh, made from Lucasfilm to yes. cover all of their uh, special effects, all of the, the creatures, everything, or the CGI, everything was covered yeah. by a massive task that ILM underwent. Oh, well. ILM's annual general meeting, AGM, mm-hmm. every year. Uh, John Knoll would sit with all of his staffers, all of his crew members, uh, some eminent directors and producers and writers from sort of Lucasfilm and affiliates, would all sit together and discuss the new projects for the year. And every year, George Lucas, was, who was present, uh, would be asked, George, are you making a new Star Wars film? By someone. Someone that raised their hands in the question, go, George, are we making a new Star Wars film yet? And every year, George would go, no, not really thinking about anything to do with that. From every year up to 1994, when George was asked that question and he said, Maybe. And it was that day everyone knew a new Star Wars film was coming. Mm. And in 1999, we got it with The Phantom Menace. The build, the hype, was unimaginable. Questions are asked of, if you would go back in time, Mm -hmm. where would you want to be? You can't change anything. You can't interfere. You must be there. You must be a passive observer. Okay. Where would you go? And I always answer this question with the same thing. I'd go, the release date of The Phantom Menace. 1999. 1999. You wouldn't go go episode four? No, I'd go 999. Okay. Because I feel like the reaction this film got, mm-hmm. the hype that was built without 15 years without a Star Wars film. True. And the biggest, so one of the biggest franchises ever in the world, not even the biggest sci-fi franchises. May 19th was the release date of The Phantom Menace. And I'd want to go, I'd want to be there May 19th, 1999, sit in that cinema, see that title card, feel the feel the atmosphere of the fans with their toy lightsabers and their, their Jar Jar Binks costumes. Yeah. I'd, want to, I'd want to be there. I'd want to feel the atmosphere. I'd want to feel the presence. I mean, I suppose it would be similar to um, when the new one, the new sequel came out. Yeah. Because that for us is, because I don't know how many years that was between that and the last one, but it was, oh. again, probably about a similar it time. Was about 10 years, I think. Yeah, and it's like, I remember that coming out. I know that. The big, the, the big hype. The big and hype. The... And this was even, this was even bigger. From, this was went off the... Uh, the Return of the Jedi yeah. to this, and it was when we were taking it, we're taking it far behind, far behind the story. It's a prequel. It's before the events of the trilogy. No one knew it was untapped. Mm. No one knew what we were going to get, and that was that was the spark. Now so you took some notes doing what you filmed, as did I. Yep. As the plot began, as we got that first crawl, boom! Star Wars. Wow. Everyone's ah, oh, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. Yep. You know, Starfield, <laughs> right? Starfield text. There's something about a trade embargo. Yes, there is. You know, the, the, the Galactic Republic is engulfed in the, the grip of a trade a trade disagreement. <laughs> in fact, I have the crawl right here. Okay. <laughs> Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute, which, 
you know, get your popcorn at the, <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the stand, right? Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly battleships, the Greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy, to settle the conflict. Then we get introduced to Naboo, yes. the Trade Federation, and all their big uh, Lucre Hulk-class battleships, like huge donuts in the sky, yes. donuts in space. So what was your... Walk us through your thoughts. So, like I said before, I haven't seen this film in, in years. It's probably been 15, maybe 14 years since I've seen mm-hmm. it. And one of the things I remember is, for me anyway, Qui-Gon Jinn is one of the best Star Wars characters we've had. Mm. Granted, spoilers, he's only in this film. Uh, yeah. by, by, by the end of yeah. it, he's gone. Um, I, I, I just, I really like, I was, it was good to see him again. I also have memories of this. If I have more memories of Phantom Menace from the old PS1 game that I used to play all the time, I have more memories from that than I actually did the movie before I've seen it again. Really? Yeah. You know what? One of the first things that struck me is it looks good. Granted, this was like 23, 22 years ago. Now. I was going to mention the amount of hours, the amount of years that you, this was you filmed years in the making. The yeah. amount of practical effects, the whole boom, the, the, we're going to skip ahead here, but the pod race scene, that big arena, it is. that's all practical. The majority was practical. It was just enhanced by CGI. Yeah. Also, some of the um, some of the effects look better than things we see today. I think so, actually. Um, one of them that comes to mind, if you listen to our last week's episode where we covered right. Doctor Who, you know how the uh, sea sea devil jumps on a ship. Oh yes. Very reminiscent of a Jedi jump, and this does it better. No, the, Jedi, the Jedi jump does look good. <laughs> it's a bit of blur on it. He's got yeah. the Force jump looks great. It still. does. The, I feel like the 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 droids, the battle droids, look like they're mm-hmm. actually there. Yes. Well, the, the battle. I don't know. I know they built like practical models for like scaling and stuff. They did. They built practical models for scaling because I watched a documentary on this in preparation for this episode. Mm-hmm. They built like an actual droid model just yes. for scaling and stuff, how it would look. But the CGI of them and how mm-hmm. they're sort of jittery and they sort of move and they're sort of clickety clack walking and like tch, 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 when they're walking through the streets. And the yeah, the droids in this are really good. Um, the some of them were ones. practical. Yeah. Because uh, I know there's some deleted scenes and stuff where like, they get pushed over by someone and that's yeah, an actual yeah. kind of like one by one scale of a droid. Mm. Um, the massive, like, I guess battle scenes you see in this, like the one with like the Gungans. Yeah, the Gungan ba- the Naboo planes. Yeah, where like all the droids like are weirdly just on a really long rail and just are slowly oh, the M- lowered. The, M- the MTTs, that is one of the best sequences of the entire film where the big MTT, yeah. the, the sort of big brown metal tank, the droid tank. Um, the the open the opens and all the racks come out and you hear that sort of beeping noise like yeah. it's a like it's a truck that's reversing and it lowers and all the racks come off and it's like and the guy goes activate the droids and then he presses the button and yeah. they all sort of unfold to that music and and you see their heads come up and they sort of move around like they're like they're a camera on a gimbal they yes. sort of center they all center and they all pull out their guns at the same time and they do that mass, the military term went like Phew. there's so many of them they've do they're all doing the same most at the same time it's like the echoing noise it's it's really fit. the droids in this are quite legitimately threatened. Like, they gun people down. Yeah. They kill all the Gungans in the battle. I mean, they're threatening in Star Wars senses, even though you know for a fact hundreds of them are going to just be perished because it's Jedi, but there you go. Yeah, yeah, the Jedi <laughs> cut through them like, yeah. like butter in that opening scene. Which was on, um, I think it was one of the delete. No, it was a behind the scenes. It was uh, on purpose. They're supposed to be bad. Yeah, they're supposed to be, you know, like the stormtroopers, a bit gimmicky. Yeah, a bit inefficient. A bit, a bit jokey, a bit inefficient. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even though even though they sound threatening enough. Yeah, they do. You know, in the, and I feel like their voices have been kind of comedy aside recently, where they're you know, very high pitched and mm. stuff. But now they, they, sound, they sound like actual machines in this one. Like, you know, they go, like, check it out, Corporal, Roger, Roger. You know, mm. they sound quite. They sound a bit more threatening, a bit more mechanical in this, I think, rather than just a bit high pitched voices. Still sort of me- mechanized, but in recent Star Wars media. I do have one question. Uh, far away. This uh, this involves voices and things sounding different. Okay. Um, one of the first things I remember standing out is uh, I told you this before when I was I had to research some things. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nemoidians. Yes. Which is one of the things I had to research and yes. what they were called. Yeah. I found their accents to be sometimes a bit weird and not in a good way. Right. Well, let's talk about the Nemoidians because <laughs> they serve as our antagonists apart yes. from the two ones we'll get onto in a in a in minute. A minute. Um, the Nemoidians, the Trade Federation, comprised of Newt Gunray, yes. who is the Viceroy of the Trade Federation. His sort of, his um, assistant, mm-hmm. Rune, Rune Harko, 
and there's another Nemoidian who's called Dauphine, I believe his name is. Okay. And he's sort of the captain of the ship they're on. Yeah. And then there's Tay Hao, who is the Nemoidian with the, the goggles and the mouthpiece. Yeah. Who's actually voiced by George Lucas's daughter. Oh, very nice. So if you didn't know that. Now, now these were all, um, these were all uh, practical suits. Yes. These were all um, sort of mechanized suits, and I still have an issue with the mouths. I know, I know, yep. I know they got better. The technology got so better where they could, they could actually motorize the movements of the mouth. Yeah. So it sounds like they're saying, uh, is it, "These are practical actors wearing suit wearing yeah. suits, right?" But so much so that in, especially in this film, I think with the Nemoidians, their mouth just kind of flaps open and shut like a muppet. Yeah. And the words come out, but it doesn't look like they're saying them at all. No. Sometimes, sometimes I thought they said a word and their and their mouth opened and like that's not how you say that yeah. that word or their mouth will be open and they'll be saying nothing. Yeah, I mean, I I, I did notice that I was able to kind of go, okay, it's it's ninety nine nine or whatever, fine. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it was just the accent, the way they said something. Sometimes, sometimes it was fine. They they sound like, I mean, you mentioned they, they're mouse and muppeties. Sometimes they speak muppeties. They much like bah, 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 all right, the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the things I noted was the fact that anytime they said Droidica, which is not exactly, it's Brodica. It's like great. Droidica. Well, no, there's actually there's a reason about this. You know how they said they pronounce the word Jedi? Um, they say, um, "Have you ever encountered a Jedi knife before, sir?" Yes. You know, um, they say Jedi like it's two words. Yeah, Jedi, two, two syllables. Yeah. Right? And that's because the Nemoidians are quite an old species to the galaxy. Right. And the Jedi before the Old Republic were actually called the the Jedi. Right. Like G E. Apostrophe <laughs> yeah. D-A-I. You know, they were called the Jedi like it was two words. Right. So that's why the Nemoidians call them that. It's not their pronunciation. Okay. So there's a nice little note there. But still, yeah, the Nemoidians... Now, these guys these guys should have been the comedy of the episode, of the yes. episode I thought. These guys were incredibly funny. Yes. With, with not, even in, not even meaning to be. No. But like the line I just said, where Rune Harko asks sort of Newt as they're walking through the bridge, he says, oh, have you ever dealt with these Jedi before? And he goes, uh, uh, I don't know. He turns <laughs> to the officer and he goes, close the doors. Shut the doors. They're coming for us. <laughs> it's... I mean, yeah, they, they, they should have been... They were, I mean, to be fair, overall, they were fine. I mean, one of the things I did make notes of, and it's one of the things I think Phantom Menace does really well, mm. is in classic Star Wars fashion, there's, um, and you mentioned the pod races, he does it as well, there's so many different alien species. Oh, yeah. Like, that exist, My and goodness. so many different creatures. Like, there's like yeah. eight pod races who are all different species. The Jawas appear in it, just the Raiders are there. Mm. Um, there's the announcer, which is a weird, like, two headed thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've got when they go underwater, when they go for the Gungan, oh, um, with, with a bongo. Yeah, what happens is, well, let's 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 skip forward a bit in the story. <laughs> um, they they discover that they're preparing to invade uh, Naboo. Yes. The plan was, um, Newt Gunray is informed by Darth Sidious. Yes. Well, I notice it isn't actually listed in the credits. No. If you notice this, there's no Darth Sidious listed. Um, they contact Lord Sidious, and Lord Sidious says, um, "Begin landing, begin landing your, begin landing your troops." Uh, yes. And he goes, I will make it legal. And then they send down their their, their big landing crafts, their droid landing crafts, which are also practical ships. Yes. And look amazing. That whole sequence. Anytime the droid army is like on the move, it's amazing. The look of those practical models they're sweeping by and the big the big column of of MTTs and tanks and mm. troops heading into Theed is just fantastic. I really, really love seeing like big armies in motion. That's great. So yeah, Darth Sidious informs them to get rid of the Jedi. They try and gas them in the room with Dioxys, yep. and it doesn't work. They, they break out, and they stow aboard separate ships and meet down on the planet, yes. on Naboo. And that's where we get our first our first exposure, let's yep. call it, to Jar uh, Binks. Correct, which is where he appears. I will let you speak on him. So, perhaps. yeah, well, they're on Naboo, and they're, they're running away, and then here comes this, like, this Gungan who has no idea what's going on, and tries talking to Qui-Gon Jinn and ends up just jumping on his back. Yes. And getting a pickleback ride. He gets he gets saved by Qui-Gon because the, the MTT is about to crush them. Yes. And he gets saved. He does indeed. Um, and later explains that I know where we can go. There's a city somewhere. Yes. But I don't want to take you there because I've been banished. Now, Otho Gunga <laughs> is the name of the city. And yes. the reveal, the whole sequence with the music, it's swelling and they're mm-hmm. diving low. And you sort of see the lights of the bubble city come up. I have one question with this sequence, That's and I'm sure you can answer this being a Star Wars man yourself. Right, far away. You know the breathers the Jedi's use. Yeah, yeah. Their noses aren't covered. Right. 
Well, I Why? imagine I imagine the I imagine the breathers cover their their mouth. They cover the mouth. Yeah. I imagine it has some kind of sort of a protective technology to sort of suck the <laughs> some team, weird sort of force field. Yeah, that stops force it. field. Well, actually, it's proven that you can do it with the force. Okay. You can yeah. force hold your breath. So I don't know why they had the apparatus in the first place. Probably just like a weird cool thing that's... Yeah, coolant thing perhaps, yeah. I don't know. But it is proven that you can force hold your breath. So it is possible. But no, but, but the reveal of the city is fantastic. Yeah, It looks great. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole city, they get there, and Jar Jar Binks immediately is... He's set, ar- he's set upon by the guards. Yes. And um, arrested by Captain, Captain Tarpaws. Yes. And they are essentially... Talking to, now I can't remember his name. Right. I just Boss Nass. Yeah, thank you. I just know him as a guy that keeps making a weird noise. Yes. Um, do you know Do you know what Captain Topples and Jar Jar ride? What that creature is called? You see, the my. Sort of, the sort of uh, donkey kind of. You see, kangaroo. I did, but I don't know what it is. My head goes Bamfer. It's not it's that. It's not Bamfer. That's the big the, woolly thing. That's things. the big, like, woolly elephant with, yeah. the, with the, uh, the horns on the back. That's what the sand people ride. Yeah. The Bamfer. Now, this is called a Cardu. Okay. And it's featured in the Clone Wars and some of the, some of the movie episodes. It, it makes its sort of hmm. a p- first appearance in this. Yeah. So it's called a Cardu. I remember it's called a Cardu because I had a Lego set of them when I was a kid. Nice. You got two. You got two Cardu. This sort of plastic orange mold Cardu. You get Jar Jar. You get Captain Tarpaul. <laughs> you get like you get um, the sort of the big thing. You know he hangs on the back of the boomer yes. cart and he's rolling along. You get that as well and it kind of attached to the Cardu. So. Very nice. I know it's fun. I like that. The whole big battle. We've talked about the battle sequence, but it's amazing. So. Yeah, I mean, they get there, they essentially end up talking and using Jedi mind tricks. Yep. Allow Jar Jar to leave, they get transport, which is called a Bongo. Bongo. Do you know why Jar Jar was banished? Because they do tell you. Uh, he, he said he's clumsy, he but he says something else. He like, blows something up or something, doesn't no, he? He says something else. Um, he crashes Bo- Boss Naz's like, personal submarine. <laughs> okay. He says he crashes his Boss Naz's Hey Blibber a submarine pod or something like that. You see, so, Hey Blibber makes more sense. I don't know why it's called a bongo. Well, except for maybe the says, somewhat witty line of what's a bongo, a vehicle, I hope. Yeah, he says, like, he says, uh, I crashed the boss's <laughs> Hey Blibber, then banish. Yeah. So we imagine that Jar Jar went on a joyride? Possibly. Or was his, like, chauffeur or something? Possibly. Or or stole it or whatever, was some kind of convicted criminal? Yeah. And... He stole like his boss's like car. it's like going out your boss's car or something yeah. and, and crashing it, and then he was banished from Arthur Gunga. He says he was clumsy. I'm yes. onto you, Jar Jar. <laughs> that was GTA. That was that was Grand Theft Auto. I will say though, the uh, underwater sequence in the bongo again also yeah. points out the fact of because you get um I wrote these down through the planet core. Right. I wrote these down. Here's my notes. <clears throat> Big fish. Big fish is the OPC killer. Okay, okay, OPC killer. The uh, bigger fish. Right. It's the Sandow Aqua Monster. The Sandow Aqua Monster, I know that one. And then finally, there's the, this other like weird eel fish. I think I know what it's called. It's the Colo Clawfish. Correct. Yeah. I had to look it up because I thought, ah, oh, there's a fish. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, there's another always one that comes on in a minute. Fish. There's always a bigger fish. Did you sit and wait for the memes to happen? Do you know when they were coming? I, I, I know always a bigger fish. Um, always a bigger fish. Other than that, not really. It's getting out of hand. Now, now, now there are two of them. Do you know that one? Yeah, but you sent me the gif of that. I did, in fact. <laughs> you sent me that in a gif form. I did send you that in a gif form when we were watching the Phantom Menace sort of in yes. similar times. So, and onto the two of them. Yes. Who are the two of them? They are the Sith. They are, uh, yeah, they are. Master and Apprentice. It's Darth Sidious and Darth Maul. I've put down in my notes that Darth Maul gets one of the best like entrances of he anyone. Because it's, it's a hologram of Sidious, and yeah. then suddenly just Darth Maul just appears. Darth Maul appears <laughs> behind him, like he was there the whole time, <laughs> and he's waiting to stand, yeah. step forward. I, that's amazing. It's again, and I've, I've got this in my notes. As much as Qui Gon Jinn is one of my favorite Jedi's out there, Darth Maul is one of my favorite Sith. Sith. Yeah, he's got like five. Lines, three yeah, lines. and again, he's in one film. He's in one film. He's in the Clone Wars, a but lines, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's, he first appears in this. Yes, and he's got that amazing devil head look. It's black and red, so tattoos. Yeah, and he's got the horns. Initially, they were feathers. Okay, they were like initially they were sort of as pre- like prayer totem kind of feathers mm-hmm. upon his head, um, but then they were interpreted by um, I think his name's Nick Dudman, who was in charge of the creative creature team. Okay, interpreted them as sort of horns on the devil. Mm-hmm. So that's what he made them as, and that's still amazing. Great look. It's fantastic, he yes. looks intimidating, he looks fearsome. Ray Park is on his A game. He is. This is when Ray Park was in everything. Yeah. You know, X Men, Sleepy Hollow. He was he was like the, the go to stuntman. He pulls off great stuff as Darth Maul. I cannot get enough of that like butterfly flip. <laughs> he does when when they're when they're fighting in the in the sort of the room with a big pit in it. Yes. And they're fighting 
hitting, and he just cut his he's just cut his double blade lightsaber in half to one yes. saber. And Obi Wan kind of goes for a strike at the knees, and Darth Maul does like a twist and spin in the air, yeah. and then spins around on his heel, and he's like, I love that move every time. And the noise the lightsaber makes where it goes when he's spinning through the air is just it's incredible. I mean, again, Darth Maul in this is fantastic. It's only in this film. If we're talking just film releases, I mean, technically he's in Solo, but he's like a cameo oh, and that's no. it. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. He's there. Okay, well, so, but it's voiced by Peter Serafinowicz, correct. who's a well-known British comedian. Correct. Um, not for so much a voice actor. No. There's a, there's a great half an hour um, sort of interview <laughs> on YouTube. Have you found this? No. There's a great half an hour interview on YouTube where he talks about his experience in voicing Darth Maul, right? Um, they wanted to revoice Ray Park because Ray Park's from South London. Yeah. You know, quite a uh, soft, sort of distinctive Londoner voice. They want to recast it. Um, so they got Peter Serafinowicz in, and he was in a voice booth with George Lucas. Uh, you know, and George Lucas just sat behind him, <laughs> not even behind glass or anything in London. You know, and apparently they were doing this in a very sort of not a very famous voice theatre or anything like that. You know, quite a sort of rundown place in in Soho in London. Yeah. And George Lucas was sat behind him. And Peter Serafinowicz was like, George Lucas, is, he sat behind me. He's not like... Yeah. So um, Peter says to him, um, how do you want me to do this? What kind of direction can you give me? You know. And George Lucas says, and this is going to be a horrible impression, he goes, <laughs> just make him evil. Just make him sound real evil. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, sure. <laughs> and there's an even funnier story about um, Terence Stamp as well, mm. who plays Chancellor Valorum in this. Yes. And... He joined the film because he apparently was a fan of Natalie Portman. Okay. And he wanted to be in a scene with Natalie Portman, <laughs> which I thought was a bit, A, a bit creepy. It's a bit weird, yeah. Yeah, a bit weird. Yeah, I'll admit that. It was a bit weird. But apparently Terrence Stamp wanted to be in a scene with Natalie Portman. Okay. And it was famed that George Lucas gives you a gift after after he's yeah. done, after you've worked for him, he gives you a gift. And Valorum's only in like 10 minutes of the film. He's Pretty much. Like, I swear he was in longer than that. He's only in like two two scenes at most, yeah. right? The scene in the Senate yeah. and the scene at the landing platform yes. when they land on the boost ship after they've escaped the planet. So on Coruscant. On Coruscant, on Coruscant yes. Yes. So, so Terrence Stamp, he's like, right, okay, I want to do the scene with Natalie Portman. Okay. His agent tells him, oh, you're playing the Chancellor of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, okay. Well, better be doing it then. You know, and then, so he's in the scene and he's in this green room where he's, he's standing on this platform yes. in this green room in this, cos- in this costume and... He's looking, he's looking down, and there's like a white cross on the floor, like a few meters from him. Mm-hmm. And he says, how do I perform? What's this white cross? And then the producer says, oh, that white cross, that's Natalie Portman. <laughs> so, uh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, and then B, B, he gets told by his agent, oh, George Lucas gives you a gift when you're done. With yeah. Them. Right, okay. He goes back to his dressing room, and there's a box in there. And he thinks, oh, he opens the box, and it's the Phantom Menace stencils. Okay. And like stick, like stickers <laughs> and stencils. <laughs> what? Nice. So, George Lucas, man of taste, clearly. Mm. Man of taste, man of vision. Ideas, man. <laughs> so, what else do you have in your notes, Corinne? So, one of the other things I want to mention is the uh, similar with the design. Um, if you've gone onto our YouTube channel, which mm-hmm. is the real show on YouTube, we did a top five Starfires. We did. About a year ago now. And two of my starfighters, Star Wars starfighters, are two, in this. Are in this. Right. I think I should, would like to guess. Go go for is it. Is it the Naboo N1 starfighter? That was one of them. The Naboo fighter used by the Royal Naboo Guard. Yes. Is it the Vulture droid? It is. The Trade Federation Correct. Vulture droid used. Which in are this. both designed by a guy called Doug Cheng. Yes. Still working today on he Star Wars. He is still Wars. working today on Star Wars. And the ship designs in this and the general oh, stuff, he's, it's, it's fantastic. The aesthetic, there was a video by YouTube called E.C. Henry, if, mm-hmm. you can find, if you're familiar. Um, he's done a video about the aesthetic of Star Wars mm-hmm. and how it's different from every other sci-fi aesthetic, but it's the same. Yes. Like, you know, if I show you two ships, you can say they're both in Star Wars, but they look vastly different. Yes. But they somehow look like they're based sort of the same. Like, if I show you, like a Lucra Hulk battleship, and mm-hmm. I show you a Star Destroyer, they look vastly different, but you can both tell they're in the same universe. Yes. Right? And that's an amazing... It, there's that Star Wars feel. Yeah. And Kathleen Kennedy defined it, who is now president of Lucasfilm, defined it as a silhouette. Mm. The Star Wars silhouette is a big thing, where you can tell who it is without seeing them. Like yeah. If I show you a silhouette of any ship in The Phantom Menace, you will know what it is. Yeah. Right? It's that, it's that having that iconic look, even from the opening... 
uh, the console, like that red cruise that looks a bit like uh, the Tantive Four, but it's got three engines. And, yes. You know, um, um, the the uh, Naboo was based off of a old car concept because mm-hmm. um, Doug Chang mentioned the fact that it was supposed to be reminiscent of the 1920s. Yeah, yeah, that classic time. Yes. Um, the Vulture Droid was supposed to essentially look like a TIE fighter before TIE fighters existed. Yeah, yeah. That was that whole plan. It was That's why, if you look on the sides, it kind of has that, there's two side pod two, things. Yeah, but it's got a walking mode as well. Like, it can yes. it can walk on, that's its sort of, that's its appeal. It can walk on the side of a ship like a walker, and then it can transform into a, yes. into a, uh, like a jet mode and fly as well. And that's, to be fair, that's one of the things I think with Phantom Menace that is, because whenever people mention Phantom Menace, they're always like, oh, Jar Jar is really annoying, or the dialogue isn't right. great. But if you look into the sort of world and the world building in this film, mm. it's fantastic. It's incredible. Right, let me mention the Droidicas, right? Yes. For a second, you mentioned the Droidicas. Yep. And the Droidicas, oh, this is a bit of lore here. Okay. But they're built by a species called the Colocoids. Okay. Right? And if you look at the Colocoids, they look like a big... They fl- look like the... Droidic- they look like a big fleshy Droidica, yes. effectively. They walk on those little four little legs. Yes. They've got that sort of hunched stature. And I feel like it's an amazing thing because all we get in, in sci-fi mostly is like a robot with two arms and two legs yeah. like a man humanoid robot mm-hmm. right but a robot that that goes around on th- on like three legs and has this sort of very hunched stature and quite large you know four four arms yeah so that's really unique and the vault and the vulture droids are the same thing yeah i mean you've got, you've got vulture droids you've got droidicus you've mm-hmm. got obviously got r2 unit which is in this yeah yeah um you've got c3po which is it makes an appearance hasn't quite joined the squad yet Made but it's there well let's count well forward in the story a little bit yes um the jedi rescue the queen queen amidala played by um sometimes kira knightley and sometimes mm-hmm. um pad uh, so i'm about to say padme, Baby, padme, padme amidala <laughs> but what I, who i mean is natalie portman <laughs> yes um padme amidala is who she plays and yes. who features in this so the nice little note about that is the make. It, this is so weird. I feel this is so strange, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay. Kira Knightley looks very similar to Natalie Portman. Yeah. And that's the, that's what they're riding on here, right? Yes. You could, sort of can't tell the difference because they play because her name is Sabe or Rabe, and she's yeah. she's the double for Padme Amidala, right? Because Padme Amidala is the real queen. Yes. But she's in disguise throughout this film, right? It's just a handmaiden and mm-hmm. not the queen. But in in universe, they wear that sort of very distinctive makeup pattern. Yes. To to sort of, to, so people can't tell them apart. So with the makeup, with the just a distracting white face and the red dots and the yeah. red sort of streaks and stuff, you can't tell who it is, right? It's just like her face, yeah. And it's and they once they had this makeup on, even I think Kira Knightley's mother mm. couldn't tell the difference between Kira Knightley and Natalie Portman in the same makeup in the same costume. It's very convincing. So it is very convincing, and they they try and put on the same sort of voice, the same yeah. sort of faux British accent that that, um, that uh, Carrie Fisher tried in the New Hope. So, which and there's a lot of it's a slew of voices. Everyone's got a different voice. Yes. Everyone sounds different. So, but I think the real star of this film, okay, um, is I was about to skip forward to Coruscant then. Oh. I might hold on who I think the real star of this film is. Okay. Let's talk about Tatooine. Let's, yeah, let's 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 mention Tatooine. Because they escaped the the Viceroy and Correct. his uh, blockade of deadly battleships. They fly straight past R two D two helps save them. He does. Um. And they get there. They get to a Tatooine. They they do. To, the hyperdrive has been damaged. Yes. So they have to land there. And a good point by Qui Gon is that Tatooine is controlled by the Huts. Yes. But the Huts aren't looking for no Amidala, so they can land there safely. Yes, we have the advantage. And the Trade Federation isn't present on no. Tatooine because it's in the Outer Rim. So they land there and they look. They look for parts and they arrive at Watto's junkyard. They do. Now Watto, very <laughs> interesting character. <laughs> he is. He is indeed uh, this big blue fly. He's a toy darling, he says. Okay. He is uh, a to- mind tricks don't work on him. You they may do wonder, not. You may wonder why. I wondered this question. I've got it down in my notes. Oh, okay. I put why are toy darlings inherently? Not, did you not know this? I I had a suspicion of, of why. Okay. It's because toy darlings are a species that are inherently born because the mind trick will work on those of the weak minded. So yeah. those of like the lazy. I mean, we've seen the, it earlier in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of lazy people, people who don't want to do their job. It's it's more of a suggestion technique. Yes. It's been suggested in the novels. It's less brainwashing and more suggestion. Yeah. Like like if you want to get up and leave, and I say, oh, you will get up and leave, but you yeah. kind of want to, you'll just do it because it's it's not really. I'm not brainwashing you. It's yes. more like giving into your suggestion. Like if you're if like if you're kind of working a really dead end job and you want to go to sleep, and someone goes, you will go to sleep, and it's yeah. knocked out. You know? Yeah. It's like that, right? 
it's more of a high, power of heightened suggestion, not so much a brainwash. Okay. So that's why he says, um, you know, Republic credits will do fine because he knows that Watto's a gambler, Watto's a, yeah. a schemer. He'll think Republic credits are fine. So that's why he says, no, they won't. Yes. No, they won't. Because Tordarians as a species are born inherently with strong wills because they live on quite a harsh planet. You know, I think they were a servitude to another species beforehand and they're... Um, and they're they're born on quite harsh conditions. Yeah. So they're inherently strong-willed. So they will they will resist the mind trick. And it, it's not just with Todarians. Huts doesn't work on Huts either. Okay. Because um, Luke try, Luke Skywalker tries it on Jabba in Return of the Jedi doesn't work. And Jabba can understand. He knows the effect of a Jedi mind trick because he he mind tricks Bib Fortuna. And Jabba goes, "Oh, he's using the old Jedi mind trick on you. It doesn't work <laughs> on me. Yeah. I'm a Hut, right? So we know it doesn't work on other species. Yes." Right? So, and also, maybe Qui-Gon is just bad at mind tricks. Or that, Have yes. you considered that, perhaps? That's something <laughs> I considered, that he's not doing it hard enough. Or it's Possibly. just... Well, it works on Bosnaz, so I guess... Yeah. So... Yeah, but Bosnaz just seems easily... Yeah, easily swayed. Bosnaz wanted to get rid of them anyway. Well, yeah, true. So it's the high power of heightened suggestion, that's the mind trick. Yeah. So he just said, oh, then get rid of us. And I thought, oh, we'll get rid of you. So yeah. that's how it works, basically. And that's also an, ex- oh, an explanation for A New Hope. Where Obi Wan says they're not the droids you're looking for, and yes. that all the stormtroopers go along with it because not only did it only affect that man, all the men around him, it basically made them want to slack off on their jobs. Yes, because they were on Tatooine, they were working, you know, long hours in the sun, and they're in the white armor. It's hot, you know, so they just wanted to slack off. And basically, that's what the mind trick did: heightened their suggestion. So they just—that's what they did. They didn't yeah. want to look for the droids. So back on Tatooine, yes, we run into Watto and we run into little Anakin Skywalker. Correct. Y- yippee! Yeah, that gets said a couple of times. Thoughts on Anakin. Thoughts on a young Anakin played by Jake Lloyd. Also, poor Jake Lloyd. I'm very sorry for him. I was going to mention this. Um, he got hell for this. He did. Film to the point where eventually on Twitter, um, uh, what's his name? Guy played Skywalker. It's uh, Mark Hamill. Yes, had to uh, defend him on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so this poor, this poor lads. Um, I think overall. He's. A, I always thought I'm like he's a kid. He's yes. what? He's eight, nine years old. Yeah, exactly. Kids are obsessed with stuff at eight, nine. Yeah. Years. I was obsessed with Star Wars when I was a kid. Yeah. I wouldn't shut up about it. And if you put me in a film, that's probably what I'd talk about too. Yep. Anakin Skywalker is a kid who's never left Tatooine. No. Ever. He's lived there all his life as a slave to Watto, a slave yep. to the Hearts, right? And all he loves, he loves pod racing. He does. So he's just talking about pod racing all the time. That's because because he, he likes it. Yeah. You know, uh, that's what my understanding was. Because kids who who. You know, aren't removed from a from a kids that aren't removed from their environment will learn to love things around them. Mm. Surely, I thought he was fine. I didn't see a problem with him. Um, he didn't, you know, like take me out of film, take me out of the immersion. The the yippies were a little bit there. Saying that, Jar Jar Binks says how rude more than he's when Anakin says yippee. Mm. Um, I counted for at least three or four times where Jar Jar says that. Uh, I thought he was alright. He was believable enough um, as a kid. Mm. I, yeah, I thought he was alright. He wasn't bad. There's a there's a short documentary, a 15 minute documentary on YouTube okay. called um, In a Galaxy Far, Far Away, I Was Almost Anakin Skywalker. And it tried... Have you seen this? I have not, but in the uh, behind the scenes of Phantom Menace, it shows, it shows a, audition process. It shows for auditions for Anakin, yes. Mm. There was um, a child actor called Devin Michael okay. who auditioned for the role of Anakin. And I've seen this. But it tells what he's doing now. He's just a guy. Oh, okay. He's just a regular dude with a regular job. It happens know? to some actors. And, and they just get out of it. Yeah. And he could have been Anakin Skywalker. Would his, li- would his life have been ruined the way Jake Lloyd's life was, was, was ruined? Probably. Would that sort of exposure catapult you into... I reckon any kid playing Anakin probably would have got the Anakin, same kind of. Uh, people say on the on on the internet yeah. that Anakin should never have started out as a ten year old kid. He should have been like an eight. Should have been like a, a fifteen year old, an eighteen year old. You know, a nearly t- growing up to an adult. He shouldn't have started out as a little kid. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind it. I I kind of like it because it you you see him when he's a bit younger. And then also it allows you to see the Yoda status of, of him and his mum. Yeah, of yeah. Early C three PO. That goodbye scene is so hot, even today. Yes. Of him leaving because I can't imagine, you know. Yeah, and then also like you see all his other friends who are kind of a similar age. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's even I don't know I can't remember if he's in the film or if it's just a deleted scene. You ever see a really young Greedo? That's the deleted scene. Yeah. I know because I watched it <laughs> when I was when I was listening when I was looking at the deleted scenes for this film and it was in there. Yeah. The Greedo scene. Anakin's tussling with Greedo in the he street, is. fighting him. 
and Qui-Gon pulls him off and says, oh, leave him, Anakin, you yeah. know, he's not worth it. And Greedo's like, oh, he's, he's saying McClunky, yes. you know, in his Greed- Rodian language. And then Wald, who's another yes. Rodian, who's, uh, who is in the film, who is in the film, uh, he's played by White Davis, yeah. says, oh, you should stop fighting people, Greedo, you'll get yourself <laughs> shot. <you> yeah. <laughs> You'll get yourself hit first, Greedo. You know what? Warwick Davis has been a plethora of people in the Star Wars films. He's a plethora of people in this film. Because he, he appears again at the pod race. Yeah. He's, as he's as Watto, himself. He's Watto's side. He's, yes. he's called Weasel. That character's called Weasel. Who yes. actually appears in, in Solo. He's oh, okay. On Cloud Riders. Okay. So he's the same character from... from and Watto... Um, not Watto. And Warwick Davis mm. likes to think that um, that character's went on a bit of a journey. From okay. Tatooine, sort of broke out of slavery and sort of joined this rebel group called the Cloud Rider with Emphis Nest and the Cloud Riders so yeah. that is the same character okay um, he also plays a character who's nicknamed Grimy who is in the background of one of the when they first walk into Mos Espa yep when they first walk into Mos Espa Qui-Gon Padme and Jar Jar and R2-D2 mm-hmm. when they first come in he's in the background sort of oh, okay. walking by them behind them okay and literally he was he was on set that day yeah he wasn't actually even slated to be an extra he just came onto set and George Lucas was like oh we'll, we'll dress you up in these uh, in these sort of backpacker clothes and you can walk across the scene I do think this is one thing on the Phantom Menace that I don't particularly like is every now and then it happens with the pod racing bit when you've got Jabba the Hutt and everyone around him and it happens with um, after Jar Jar Binks has had a kerfuffle with Sebulba and he goes and sits down he's just surrounded by people that are obviously wearing like a bright haired coloured wig and makeup but just look like other humans it's a bit weird yeah, well, there's the concept of some sort of near humans in yeah. Star Wars. There's actually um, a cameo for a, from a famous, soon-to-be famous Star Wars character, Quinlan Voss, mm. in that scene. He sort of, um, he's got a very distinctive yellow stripe across his face. Yes. He sort of sat behind Sebulba, and he was on a secret mission for the Jedi Council on Tatooine, and that's really interesting, actually. But there's more than one instance of that. Aura Singh is in the pod race. Yes, she is. Uh, do you remember Aura Singh, sort of white skin, sort of near human with long fingers and a ponytail? Yeah, she was in my like female uh, bounty hunter. top five, top five background characters. Yeah, Aura Singh, yeah. Um, she was slated. She was initially named um, by like Lady Boba Fett or something like yes. that, just as a background character for the pod race. Yes. And she was turned into a character in Legends. She was like a former Jedi apprentice and mm. collected lightsabers and stuff like that. And now she's in canon as like one of the most famous bounty hunters in the galaxy. The the pod race scene in this. Oh, fantastic. it's fantastic. Yeah, it's incredible. Amazing. Yeah. The sa- the sound is like there's no music. Do you notice? No. Not. I don't think there's any music at all in that sequence. Maybe in some of like the more dramatic bits where Anakin's speeding ahead or something like Possibly. that. Possibly. But the sound the of the engines, the roar of the engines. So the sound of Sebulba's pod, you know, the... Yeah. As he's coming up behind and you can hear it in the... I remember, I saw this film in 3D. When it nice. was when it was, re- when it was re-released in 2012, I want to say. Okay. I will, I will just check that. Um, when it was re-released in 3D, yep. me and my dad went to go and see it in the cinema. Okay. And yes, it was. It was February 10th, 2012. There you go. It was released in 3D. Me and my dad, my dad picked me up from school, took me to the cinema to watch Phantom Menace in 3D. And I remember the sound of that pod, the sound of the pod racer, seeing the pod. It was great for when you know, the ships are flying at you and stuff, the, bat, the lasers are whizzing by. I, um, I believe it was at Butlins. Mm-hmm. Um, Where all Star Wars things Yes. Uh, and it might have been other places as well. You know, right? You get them like really small simulation things. Where it's like it's like a little a video game. Or? No, no, no. Like you, you sit in it. So it's like oh, a really right. small pod a ride. Yeah. with like ten people in it. And it, it essentially you've got a big screen in front of you, yeah. and it tilts left, right, up, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had that always, and it was a, it was a pod racer one. So wow. it's essentially Luke's, um, not Luke's Anakin's, Anakin's pod, pod racer. racer. You know how, like, you eventually, every now and then you get a camera, which is, like, the two two uh, engines at the front? Yeah. It's essentially that for the whole time. It's, it's a whole pod race. shot of the pod race. Yes. Wow. It's the whole, cool. and you're just in Anakin's thing, tilting all the time, and oh. everyone gets eliminated, and it's great. Wow. It's like, it's like explosions and rock falls yeah. and stuff. I remember I remember the Lego Star Wars level of the pod race, how hard <laughs> it was, because how fast you were going, <laughs> and you'd bump into the walls, and you'd bump yeah. into all the pod races, and I remember how hard that was. Oh. You've seen there's a new Lego Star Wars game, the Skywalker there is. As the pod racing level is basically the same, yeah. apparently. It's the complete saga, which is great. Um, I mean, that's great to see. But yeah, I mean, the the, the pod racing scene in this is fantastic. Mm. The, um, but uh, to be fair, there's a lot of parts in this that are like, they're just great. We mentioned the, the whole battle. 
with yeah. the Gungans is fantastic. Jewel of the Fates is fantastic. Can we get on to who I believe the star of this film is? Go for it. They leave Tatooine, yep. taking Anakin with them. They realize he's force sensitive through something called many chlorians. Yes. Which is like some I think I believe it's like a force conductor in the blood. Yeah. It's not so much a scientific basis for well, the force as it is like a force. Yeah, because Anakin has over twenty thousand metachlorians yes. and I believe he might have been born by the metachlorians. Yes, because Shmi has no husband. No, no husband, no father. Yeah. There's no father. So they head back to Coruscant. They do. And then we meet the star of this film. Okay. The real star, who I believe is Ian McDermott as Senator Palpatine. So it's not Yoddle. No, it's not Yaddle. <laughs> it's not Yaddle Poof. <laughs> it's not Yaddle, as far as you th- Yaddle. <laughs> I thought, you know what? When, when when we were thinking about making this episode, I was like, he's going to bring up Yaddle, isn't yep. he? Yaddle. I'll bring up Yaddle Poof. Yeah. No, I think it's Ian McDermott as Senator Palpatine is absolutely amazing. The fact that he came back from Return of the Jedi, and they never said Palpatine's name in Return no. of the Jedi. They always just called him the Emperor. Yes. If you'd seen, I I doubt you'd you'd realise. Mm. Maybe that last scene where they sort of linger on linger on him in the funeral and you see his face lit up by the fire. Maybe you'd think then he was. Sidious. I I have one note on Palpatine, right? Which may be a, a first name Sheev. It may be a hot take. Okay, go no, on. It's not that. Um, I was watching this and sometimes when Palpatine was on a screen, I have it written down. Palpatine gave me Rowan Atkinson vibes. <laughs> Very much Blackadder vibes, and I don't know why. Yeah, he's a bit Blackadder-ish, isn't he? It's also because the outfit he wears is like tight. Sure. Yeah, he's got like tight forearms and like poofy upper yeah, arms. Yeah, poofy, poofy shoulders. <laughs> he goes, a surprise to be sure, but the welcome one. Yeah, know? I just kept getting Blackadder vibes. He just looks like a kindly, you know, benevolent man yeah. who loves his, loves his planet, and he's a nice senator representative yes. of the Senate, you know. Um... I know there's been a, there's a novel by James Lucino, not canon anymore. Okay. There's a novel by James Lucino that uh, about Plagueis that states that Darth Plagueis was still alive during the events of Episode One hmm. and was kind of not seen ever, but sort of working um, in the background as this sort of public identity of Hugo Damask for the banking clan. Hmm. And he meets with Palpatine. Palpatine's his, you know Sith apprentice and stuff. Banking clan. Yes. <laughs> and. And Darth Maul is this sort of Sith assassin that was trained under Palpatine and stuff. Yeah. And the entire events of the Phantom Menace are basically Plagueis' plan to create an empire and sort of uh, to start off with the taxing of trade routes. And even then, even in sort of early drafts of like A New Hope, mm-hmm. it came to light that um, the Emperor, who I think was under some funny name, uh, was took power by taxing trade routes and by very sort of political means. Yeah. And that's the way that, that Palpatine does eventually. So I think Palpatine, I really like Palpatine's portrayal in this film. Palpatine's really good. Yeah, and the fact they brought after after 15 years they brought him back, and he looks great. So I know he's been like you know he's got lighter color hair and he's wearing a wig and stuff. The wigs that you say the wigs are very obvious. Yeah. The reshoots, if you see Obi, you can tell when they're doing a reshoot because of Obi Wan's wig. Yes. And you and McGregor was talking about wearing this stuffy you know <laughs> blonde wig, and he hates the scenes where he has to go back and reshoot. So and you can tell there's a fake. Do you know about fake Windu? Yes, maybe. Enlighten me. Right at the ending of at the ending of Phantom Menace, yeah, uh, you know Darth Maul's been defeated in the lightsaber battle. Qui Gon's been killed, yes, you know, and it's Chancellor pa- then Chancellor Palpatine coming off the transport and onto the Theed onto the Theed Main Street. Obi Wan Anakin are there, and the Jedi are sort of filing off the, the ship behind him. You know, yeah, um, Mundi's there. Uh, Yoda Yoda's actually a practical. There's a bodysuit of Yoda, okay, Dwight Davis. Nice. Um, there's a bodysuit of Yoda coming off this the ship. Um, e. Evan Peel's there as well. Uh, Depa Balaba, all mm-hmm. of the sort of background Jedi. Um, pretty sure, like Eeth Koth and Yarrow Poofa there and stuff. Yeah. So I don't know if Yaddle was there, maybe. So they're all coming off the ship, and there's a man there um, who isn't Samuel L. Jackson. Nice. He's just a ma- he's just a man. Just a man. He's not, and you can see you can see his face up close. He does not look like Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. So we don't know who he is. Oh. He's not been given a name. I've I've, I've looked. I've seriously looked. I do not know if he's named or not. <laughs> he's just a, he's just a man who doesn't look like he looks doesn't look like Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Samuel Jackson's in this. He's Mace Windu. Yes, he is. And he's not in the final scene. He's in the sequence when the parade and all the Jedi are sort of standing together and he's looking out. Yeah. He's not in the scene where they come off the ship. Oh. Because I think that was a reshot scene. Oh, okay. Because apparently I think Palpatine didn't interact with Anakin. Yeah. Throughout the entire thing, I think they gave him that scene just to. You know, make him interact with Obi Wan because he says, "Oh, we're indebted to you for your bravery, Obi Wan Kenobi." Yes. Because a new young Skywalker will watch your career with great interest. He yes. Pats him on the back. Yes. So there's that they, they didn't interact. So that no. that scene was added in uh, reshoots. That makes and sense. And then we get fake fake Windu, nice. as he's called. 
Um, and Mace Windu doesn't do much in this. He's given more action in the second one. He is. But he's he's more of a kind of a uh, almost like a very minor character. He only has a few lines and. But you get Sam. You get Sam Jackson. Well, exactly. Film. I think there's a story of how Sam Jackson got hired. He he. Um, I think he actually approached George Lucas about being in the film, and he said, "I don't care what role you give me. You know, put me in a stormtrooper costume and I'll be running across the screen. You know, no one has to know it but me." Kind of yeah. thing. And he said, "Oh, well, George Lucas says, oh, we'll find something for you.'" And then we made they made him a Jedi. Correct. So it's great to see him in the, the, those council scenes. Well, the Coruscant, the mm. whole Coruscant thing. You could the fact there's a scene at night. I'm not sure where it is. I think it's the scene where the council say they can't, they're not going to allow Anakin in because he's too old. Yeah. And and the fact that. Qui-Gon tries to take him but Obi-Wan's like oh well I'm your apprentice already he does it even right in front of Obi-Wan so, yeah. you know, a bit insulting but but you see the cityscape and it stretches as far as the, it stretches to the horizon yeah. like as far as you can see there's lights on in the background because it's the whole the whole planet is one big city that's Coruscant right? it's a city planet so the whole planet's one massive city you can see to the edge of to the edge of the horizon and do you feel like quite, do you feel like Qui-Gon was screwed over by the Jedi Council. Yes. The, the, the it's, it's, it's led, to, we're led to believe it several times mm-hmm. that Qui-Gon is disliked by the Council for his uh, sort of aberrant views. Yes. For his views that the Jedi should take a more active role in, in conflict resolution, that the Jedi shouldn't be you know, sitting back when all this bad stuff happening in the galaxy and saying, oh, we're only keepers of the peace. We're not. Je- Je- He's quite radical. He's a radical thinker, Qui-Gon. Yeah, I mean, there's even that part with... Um Obi-Wan's talking to Yoda and he's like oh Anakin will be my apprentice and yeah. Yoda's like oh Qui-Gon's like whatever like Qui-Gon's anguish I see in you yeah. you do not need it or something yes yeah um, I, I I think and it's one of the things though because like, everyone says Jordan of the Fates everyone's like oh it's you know it's Darth Maul and it, it's um, Qui-Gon Jinn and that's the whole thing yeah. but everyone's like well if Qui-Gon Jinn won everyone's like Anakin would have been trained by someone who would have had a different mindset and yeah. maybe wouldn't have then gone so to the dark Obi-Wan. side yeah um, Dave Filoni talks about this. In, yeah, there's a there's a director's roundtable for the Mandalorian, and Dave Filoni goes on for like for like ten minutes talking about the meaning of the Duel of the Fates. Yes, and I'll just mention this first. There's a line by Obi Wan that says, "Oh, if you just followed the Jedi code, you'd be on the Council." Yes. So it says if Qui Gon did the right thing, he'd be granted all the Jedi perks. But no, he continues to push for his own uh, agenda, for want of a better word, and wants wants to make his own justice. So, and then. Dave Filoni's point was it's called the Duel of the Fates yes. uh, because it is the fate of Anakin. It's the fate of Anakin, yeah. It's the fate of Anakin. It's the fate of if Ob- if Qui-Gon survives, yes. Anakin will have a, fig- a father figure yes. and someone to, to uh, teach him and bring him up like the right way. And not Maybe not in accordance with the Jedi Council, but in a way that Anakin will need. He'll need a strong father figure. Correct. And Qui-Gon is that. But Qui-Gon yes. dies in the battle. He does. So Obi-Wan has to do it. And Obi-Wan who's... who's even in the Phantom Menace, expressed dislike for Anakin. Yeah, he said to he's, he's comparing Anakin to Jar Jar when he first says, <laughs> he says "I feel we, how I essentially picked up another useless life form." Yes, you know, he says he, he's not even discounting Anakin. At the landing pad, Obi Wan says, "Oh, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be dragging around this boy or something like that." He says he's you know he's having doubts about it. Yes, and he only does it because Qui Gon says. Yeah, he only trains Anakin. Because Qui-Gon says you must train the boy as his last as his last wish before he dies, and even Yoda says he doesn't think it's a good idea. Well, Yoda says that oh he he may be the chosen one, but he sees like a dark future in his yeah yeah yeah. yeah. He he senses much anger in him, yeah. and that's not good. Yoda no he says that fear leads to anger, yes, and anger leads to hate, yes, and hate leads to suffering, yeah. So don't do any of those things. No. And then Yoda only sort of allows it because. Maybe he feels like he should have honoured Qui-Gon's wish, or he feels like he says... Uh, well, I think it's because I, t- I see it as Yoda values Obi-Wan, and he knows that Obi-Wan's yeah. going to do it, so he kind of has to agree to and it. And Obi-Wan's a good Jedi, he, f- he follows the code and stuff. Yeah. And Obi-Wan does his best, he tries to do his best under the circumstances. He does. But Obi-Wan tries to be too strict a Jedi, and, and yeah. I feel like people say that Anakin would have always followed Qui-Gon's path. Yes. Because Anakin was sort of influenced by... Qui-Gon in an early, an early age. Yeah, so I mean... sort of followed more of Qui-Gon's... There's also a bit where it's like Qui-Gon's funeral and Anakin's asking Obi-Wan, like, oh, what, what's happened to me now? And Obi-Wan's like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm your master now. Yes, or something. I will, and it's, will be a Jedi. It's like Anakin, even then, you can kind of sense he's more on Qui-Gon. He's more yeah. comfortable with Qui-Gon than he is Obi-Wan mm. Kenobi. He's been spent a whole film with him, pretty much. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, and then from that, from yes. a very sort of... Um, I like I like that we've gone on to the discussion of the Duel of the Fates. Mm-hmm. It's a great sequence. 
really the lightsaber combat, speedy, speedy lightsaber combat. Yes. Like a deadly game of, deadly game of chess, right? Any false move means And that's death. it, yeah. You've got to cover it's and it's built with a combination of like of like kendo styles, martial arts, fencing. Um, the the stunt coordinator, a chap called Nick Gillard, worked for a long time on perfecting the uh, on the spinning, on the movement, so they could only block there, they could only cut there. Like the moves, the moves have to flow and have to feel good. And you watch it, and it is it's like a masterclass. Yeah. I always say, look, this Phantom Menace is like the the peak. It's the Jedi in their prime. It's the peak. And of course, they got the silky skills. Yeah. It's they like cut around Darth Maul's two at once. It's because Ray Park initially the hilt was sort of smaller. But Ray Park said it better if he sort of doubled yeah. the hilt so he could hold it like a sort of bow staff and work it like that, which which looks amazing. So I felt, and the choreography is it's fantastic. Right, it's chef's kiss, yes. really. So, and bring on to sort of that sort of behind the scenes element. Mm-hmm. Uh, my weekly wreck for this week. Yeah, it's uh, we mentioned it. We mentioned it many times. Okay, it is a Lucasfilm produced uh, hour long documentary on the Phantom Menace. Okay, but before I go more into it. Do you have a real rating? For I do. I have okay, it. well, so do I. I have it written down in my notes. Okay, okay. Um, possibly higher than most people would give it. Right. Well, maybe mine's higher as well. Okay. You who's, go first. Who's go- you go first. first. You go first. I'm giving it a 7.5. What? Mine is slightly higher. I was tempted to go for an 8. Is that what yours is? Mine was originally bridging around a 9. Oh. But I know that's, <laughs> that's a controversial big. take. That is a big take. <laughs> but I feel like... I'm going to go easy and I'm going to give it 8.5. This this definitely does not get the hate it deserves. No, no, not by a long shot. It's this really was, good. This was many people's first Star Wars film. Yeah. This was many people's first, and I know people, you know, have, at the time have sort of burnt out on the prequels and stuff like that, and I feel like the hate has gotten less and less the more and more they've been around. Uh, the sequels have definitely helped that, because now, yeah. now, now everyone hates them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the prequels have kind of got more love and more, yeah. and more appreciation now. Yeah. So my weekly rec, yeah. I'm, but well, by mind, my final rating is going to be an eight point five. Okay. So so a point, no, two points ahead of yours. One point ahead One of mine. One point ahead of yours. Um, the weekly rec for this week mm-hmm. is the beginning, making Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. The okay. full version's up on YouTube. It's free from the Star Wars official YouTube channel. It's about an hour long. Goes into everything from the creatures to the story to the costumes to the visual effects uh, to the stunt coordination to script reading shooting. Uh, everything from the, the Tunisia shoot to visual effects supervision, editing, animation, uh, rough cut review, the effects review, everything, music, uh, John Williams, George Lucas, uh, from meeting Steven Spielberg, who actually would have directed this film, yep. but I think he had some kind of complication to have to step out and then George yeah. moved in to direct it himself. Um, everything from just early video tests of Jar Jar Binks, the practical model of the, the suit they made before mm-hmm. he went full CGI. And... Everything from uh, Doug Chang features as design director. Yep. There's uh, the casting director Robert Garland as well. It's it's just full of full of amazing information, and it's really really it's a great insight. Um, it opens with John Knoll, who I started this episode with, nice as visual effects supervisor for ILM. So I feel like that's a perfect place to end. Makes sense. So, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this, and we hope you all come back next week and listen to us some more. Uh, we've got some great content coming up in Star Wars for our month of May, so we hope you have a good time. Uh, but for now, it's goodbye from me, goodbye, and a goodbye from Corey. Goodbye. <laughs>